Hi, I'm Lauren Hunter. And I'm Kate Vlasic. And this is Generation BSC. Generation BSC is our bi-weekly podcast where we discuss everything Babysitter's Club that we know now, what we knew from back when we were kids, you know, all of the, the ins and outs of growing up as members of our <laughs> Generation Babysitter's Club. So <laughs> yeah, so today we are talking about book number 42, which is Jesse and the Dance School Phantom. So I think the funniest thing was you and I both were like, yes, I'm pretty sure I remember this. And then you mentioned Capelia, And I was like, yes, it's definitely Capelia. And like, I'm pretty sure Capelia was Jesse's secret language. <laughs> like, because I was like, I know there's Capelia, And I think we maybe already talked about it. <laughs> I did the exact same thing because in the very opening, it's like Sleeping Beauty. And I went Sleeping Beauty. Oh, she was Capelia in the mm-hmm. other one already. <laughs> That's why that was so vivid. Right. Exactly. But other than that. We were pretty darn close. I even like remembering that there was the older student, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean, it wasn't a sandbag, but the flat did fall. I did remember that. Yeah. That was for whatever reason what really stuck out for me. So let's remind everybody what we're talking about yes. so that we can, you know, get into the nitty gritty because there's there's some fun stuff with this one, and there's some surprisingly deep stuff with this one mm-hmm. that I wasn't quite expecting. So I'm, I'm excited to get into it. Into it we shall. It is. As Kate mentioned, Jesse and the Dance School Phantom released 1991 in March. This was ghostwritten by Ellen Miles, who is now our most frequent ghostwriter uh, that we've had so far. Mm-hmm. That, that may switch up, but um, our most recent Ellen Miles was the Middle School Mystery just a couple of books ago. So um, that, that's going to be interesting. So the thing that I actually looked up Ellen Miles because I, because this one, I think you had mentioned before I read, you had read first, and you mentioned that this one was longer than usual, which it is. Mm-hmm. I think it's like 20 to 30 pages longer, which is crazy because usually they're within like a couple pages of like exactly. 125, 130. Um, this one, I can't remember what the number was, but it was longer. And so I was like, well, let's just see like what Ellen Miles deal is. And she wrote virtually all of the mysteries. So she's written Interesting. She's written of the ones we've read so far. She, she wrote The Middle School Mystery with Claudia. She also wrote um, Stacy and the Mystery of Stony Brook. And so now she's writing this oh. one. So I think she's sort of the like go-to mystery lady, which is why they then, when they do the mysteries, it's like, Ellen, hit the road, girl, or <laughs> hit the ground running, like <laughs> not hit the road. Well, I guess hit the road out of the regular series because I think she only writes like one or two more after the mysteries start. And she's, I think she does all the way up through like 20 and then she doesn't do like 21 and then she does like all the rest of them. It's like when I was looking at her her list of ghosts written on, you know, the the BSC wiki, I was like, okay, this under this sort of explains why the non-mystery mysteries have all sort of been in the her. same vein. Yeah. And then, you know, she she clearly had a knack for investigations, I'll say. That makes total sense. I'm going to be curious to see how many plot points, like, get recycled. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be curious to see, especially because I have a couple of, like, nitpicky thing complaints about this one mm-hmm. that I don't have about some of the other ones. We'll, we'll get to that. But I, I think that that's interesting because it's funny that you say that. I also looked up Ellen Miles more for um, some of the descriptive ways mm. that she talked about Jesse feeling gross. And I was like, there's something about this. And mm-hmm. we, it, yeah, we did confirm, as I remembered last time, that she is not a person of color, or I should say does not present as a person of color. Right. She looks pretty, pretty palm colored to me. But I, I believe now if it's the same Ellen Miles, and I, I have no reason to think it wouldn't be based on what I could see is that now she has her own like series of books for kids that are oh. about puppies, but the, they look like they're aimed at younger kids. Okay. It's really cute, but like under her name. Oh, okay. So that's cool. Like, yeah. it, she's, she's relatively young. She's, I believe like 57. So that would make her, this would make sense if this was her first like big right. writing gig was like ghost writing this and then moved on as a launching pad to do other things. If we're talking about the same person, right. but again, I, I didn't do a, like a deep dive, but I can't, I, I was like, enough dots connect here. Right. I, I can't imagine that there is another children's book author, Ellen Miles, who's roughly around that age. Right. You know, no, I think so. that makes sense. Yeah, you did a slightly more research than I did. All I did was literally click on her name on the wiki because I was like, hmm, Ellen Miles, who are you? <laughs> so that's why I know literally nothing else about her other than ghostwriting credits for a Babysitter's Club. All I did was uh, Google the name and then click on her website. So it wasn't Perfect. like that much. Yeah, that much further. <laughs> In any case, this is Ellen. So we're, we're, I love that we're starting to establish, you know, some kind of groundwork for mm-hmm. that so that we can start to notice that. 
So I digression approved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're very on brand for us to have a, a tangent, but this one at least is like related to what we're talking about. <laughs> and appropriately placed, actually. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right? Go figure. So, okay, moving on to the back of the book. Naturally, Jessie is thrilled when she earns the lead in her dance school's latest ballet. But someone in Jessie's class wants her out of the show. First, Jessie's toe shoes are stolen. Then, she gets all kinds of threatening messages. What kind of ballerina would want to scare Jessie? The babysitters don't know, but they're not going to let anyone get away with it for long. I mean, I guess that's true. Jesse lets him get away with it for goddamn ever. But yeah. once the babysitters are finally involved, things move pretty quickly. And spoiler alert, that's like my biggest nitpick with, with this this one is uh, this did not need to be a book. This did not need to be a plot. Mm-hmm. This is you get one note that says fucking beware after some of your things come up missing and you go to an adult and say yep. – Someone is messing with me. Or at the very least, you go to your friends and you start looking into it then. like, Or at the, pa- the point when Madame Noelle is like, what's going on? Something is clearly wrong. What's wrong? And she's like, nope, everything's good. Just stressed out about learning my dance moves. Like, when else would you have the perfect opportunity? I mean, like you're saying, talk to literally anybody. But like, when your teacher is specifically saying, like, clearly there's a problem. What's the problem? Like, maybe tell her. <laughs> the thing is, Jesse is willfully obtuse and naive through like the whole beginning of the book the whole like three-fourths of the way through the book in a way that we have literally never seen her behave before of all of the babysitters maybe only dawn more so than jesse as is depicted as level-headed kind of chill very easy going like very head screwed on her shoulders she doesn't overreact and and i get that she's not overreacting but she also has level-headed responses to things i mean i guess other than not wanting to call Aunt Cecilia when <laughs> Becca was lost at sea. So that's not great. But, but as we've discussed, that book is sort of like an outlier. Like yes. everybody was going completely off the rails and acting out of character. Well, maybe not everybody, but like to certain degrees, almost all of our girls were a little bit off. So or right. more or a lot off. But I think I think we should just I mean, I, I like that we keep calling out, but like we should just tell everyone like, we're gonna reference it but like everybody was acting weird so it's probably gonna come up in every episode from here on out (laughs) it's our gas leak episode (laughs) it's our gas leak book exactly yeah where like everybody acknowledges that it happened but it's so bizarre that we just kind of like okay whatever it's like it's it was just you know that long weekend back in 1991 or whatever exactly 1989 my point is that it's out of character. For, it was out of character for Jesse to to not take it seriously. Like especially when the books have characterized all of the girls to this point by being so immediately prepared to leap to zebra at the slightest of like <laughs> pounding on the floor. They're immediately like what? And so that was the thing. I was like, why doesn't it bug me in other mysteries when they don't immediately go to adults? And it's because they do immediately leap to the like. A, a bizarre or like mm-hmm. it's a ghost or like I, the one I was thinking of because you know we love us some cokey was you know the Marianne and the bad look mystery mm-hmm. and that was the last time that somebody was like actively fucking with them in that way where an adult's help would have been really helpful and in this kind of context and they thought it was supernatural Marianne thought it was supernatural mm-hmm. at first so of course they're not going to loop in adults because adults wouldn't have believed them Claudia and the middle school mystery which wasn't a fucking mystery as we established, but it, there was a reason that, that she, I don't know, again, we established in that book why she didn't just talk to her parents, but at least it made some kind of sense that the babysitters felt that they needed to take it on themselves because mm-hmm. the teacher was anti-Claudia in right. such a ridiculous way. Like, I can see why they would feel like this is important for me to, to take on myself, but there's no need in this one. She doesn't even give good reasons. She doesn't even attempt to give a reason until, again, three-fourths of the way through the book when she's finally just like, I was embarrassed? At which, question mark, that doesn't make any sense. And she's in danger, right? She, like, literally injures herself. There is there is a physical accident. Like, this is not some harmless school pranks, like, ooh, meet me in the cemetery at midnight and the ghost of old man Hickory is going to come get you. This is straight up, like, assault (laughs) Mm -hmm. so it feels like not a great model of behavior either you know what i mean like why i I feel like the book is and this maybe this is a little overblown but it feels almost irresponsible that they don't 
call out, you should have come to an adult much sooner. Mm-hmm. Or, like, they, they don't even bring adults into this ever. Right. Like, the resolution is, well, she seems to feel bad, so we're going to let it go. Like, I... I, I have I have trouble with the messaging for this one. As mm-hmm. fun as I found the plot, as as much as I enjoyed the book, I got to the end and I was like, "Ooh, I don't love what I'm taking away from this mm-hmm. as 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 the messaging." I, I don't, I, 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 and I don't know is was that something that you experienced as well, or am well, I? Let, let me do our description and then I'll I'll answer your question since we. <laughs> As usual, just kept on rolling because we had a lot to talk about. Okay, so our description, the Jesse-specific plot. Jesse gets cast as the starring role of Aurora in her school's production of Sleeping Beauty to the chagrin of many of her classmates. She's very excited, but is immediately threatened by another student via stolen shoes, leotards, and tights, destroyed leotards, lots of threatening notes written in red calligraphy, and maybe the quote-unquote accidental dropping of a flat right where she'd just been standing. She has her suspicions about everyone, but doesn't wait before telling the Babysitter's Club about what's happening and keeping them updated. Eventually, the Babysitter's Club helps her narrow down her suspects and through additional sleuthing and logistical inferences, Jesse figures out it's Hillary Morgan, a girl at the dance studio who is pressured by her mother to succeed and be the best. Jesse brainstorms ideas to catch her and figures out a way to get Hillary to write a note in front of her where she's able to confirm the handwriting and pen used, and in their confrontation, after initially denying everything, Hillary, of course, slips up and then fully admits everything. Jesse takes pity on her when she explains her mother's pressure is getting to her and promises to do nothing else to Jesse and to repay her for the stolen and damaged property. Jesse goes on to be a huge success in her performance as usual usual with her first standing ovation and ends the book in a good place with Hillary who says she's quitting ballet for good. The babysitters club specific plot or I guess general plot. <laughs> On top of all the Jesse drama and a trip to Stanford with all the babysitters other than Marianne to watch a rehearsal to try to figure out who the dance school phantom might be and help Jesse narrow it down to three suspects, Christy has yet another great idea to plan a pet show for the kids as it's been a while since the last exciting event for all of them to get excited about. There are multiple babysitting jobs with lots of shit talking by the kids over whose pet is the best and who will win first place and arguments over which child gets to claim which family pet to enter. Mallory eventually points out that kids can share their pets and enter as a team, and Jessie comes up with her own great idea to have every child win a prize, be it a best all-around pet, which goes to Becca's hamster Misty, best smelling pet, which goes to Amanda Delaney's $400 purebred Persian (laughs) cat Priscilla, or funniest pet, which goes to the triplets who dressed up Byron and Jordan as a horse. Oh my goodness. The thing is that, to pick up right where I left off, is I I think I'm more annoyed by being frustrated by the aftertaste of that messaging questioning because there's so much I love in this mm-hmm. one. There's so much to enjoy. The pet show stuff was so much fun. I actually really loved that we got a great idea that wasn't all great to begin with. Like mm-hmm. we've talked about that so many times that I think it was especially a nice counterbalance because Jesse is such a Mary Sue in this book that, you know, having if it would have been everything's perfect all the time would have been a little overly much. So I like that there was the counterbalance of, oh, we can't have these great ideas, but recognize that we aren't thinking things all the way through Mm -hmm. or there are things that we may not have thought of or, you know, things don't go the way that are expected, but learn to roll with the punches. Anyway, like that stuff. I even love the mystery of it. I thought it was really fun. And I really again, I think if there were better consequences for the perpetrator and a a reason that they wouldn't go to adults. So slightly lower stakes and maybe even make it a a phantom, you know, like make the notes claim that they're from like the phantom of the dance hall. So they think it's a ghost and are, are you know, and then the twist at the end is the Scooby-Doo plot where it's no, it was, you know, your your roommate or not your roommate, but your your dance team member the whole time. Something along those lines, just so that I'm not left going, but mm, I don't love that. <laughs> just get an adult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's- I mean, I think even doing that, though, would, like, there's, even if you think it's a phantom of the dance school, I feel like, I feel like there's a reason they didn't do that in this book, because they've done enough of those plots where it's like, oh, it's a ghost. Oh, it's, you know, my bad luck because of the mustard seed or whatever. Like, they, I think that, I mean, like, at least with that, like you said earlier, like, there would be a reason why they don't go to an adult. And here, there's no excuse not to. But I think the thing that frustrates me 
maybe not more, but in another way, is that, like, Jesse does tell the babysitters relatively early in everything happening because she's sort of thrown off after – I don't think it was the first rehearsal, but, like, pretty quick she tells at least Ma- Mallory. And I think at one of the babysitters' club meetings she tells them, and it's not just, like, all the way right before they come to Stanford. Like, they sort of know what's going on, unless I'm totally misremembering, which is possible. I think, I think the way that I remember it is she tells them that, like – her shoes were missing and she was suspicious about it, but she doesn't mention the notes. I, cause I very specifically was like, okay. the notes are what make this sketchy, Jesse. Like, tell someone about the fucking note. You know what I mean? When you're getting explicit threats in that way, that's the point where bring an adult into the mix is, I guess, my, <laughs> I, cause at least, I mean, Cokies were like, you will have bad luck, or it was like related to the supernatural. You know what I mean? So it wasn't well, when she was quite... writing notes to Christy, it was pretty threatening after like the first two. So you're right, and they didn't bring an adult in there either. I think, I but I like, I feel like, I don't know. I I feel like now I've forgotten my train of thought. But I mean, I I don't love that they don't talk to an adult. I do appreciate that she at least tried to bring the babysitters in earlier because I think yeah. in a lot of these, like like the using Christy and the mystery admirer as an example, like Christy doesn't tell them about the notes until she gets like the really scary one with the fingernails. And then she, you know, she tells them about the nice ones, but then she doesn't go all the way. She doesn't tell anyone until it's like, here's some fingernail clippings. Like I'm coming to get you basically. Like, so, so I guess it's sort of like par for the course that, they yeah. don't they obviously aren't going to go to an adult but like i i guess what i appreciated was at least Jesse was telling them something whereas when this has come up before it's been sort of like they they don't tell him until you know like like in this book it would be like the flat almost falls on Jesse cuz she obviously i mean reading the book it was like clearly whatever child is harassing you did not try to murder you but like exactly, as an 11-year-old yeah. having gone through you know presumably weeks at that point of this regular harassment i would think that someone was trying to drop a flat on me too so but like but i'm glad that she didn't wait all the way until that point and then be like oh hey babysitters guess what's going on with me very true i guess so that that i appreciate is there was at least some dialogue and i think you're right i think what i'm remembering is like she just told them about like the dance shoes and like the the outfit getting taken but she didn't tell them that she was getting threatening notes until later so that I think was problematic, but I did appreciate that it wasn't like an all or nothing situation like we've seen in the past. But I do, I mean, I really hate the fact that it ended with Hillary being like, yes, it was me. I'm sorry. I hate doing dance. My mom is so mean. Please don't tell. Well, the other, okay. I'm now I'm like getting ahead of myself, but like, so the reason why Hillary doesn't want Jesse to tell anyone is because her she's going to get kicked out of school and her mom will be mad. And then she ends the book saying, I'm going to quit school. And she hasn't even told her mom yet. And it's like, well, clearly your mom's going to be pissed because your mom, you know, quote unquote, gave up her dancing to have a family, which clearly means like time to have kids. So I can't be a dancer anymore, which yeah, I mean, whatever. I'm sure there are certain or ways got you pregnant. Could, right. And, so like whatever yeah. that backstory is, like clearly it's like in, you know, center stage where I literally wrote that down. I was like, who's going to I in my notes, I said, who is going to mention center stage first? <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the thing is like, that's clearly the Maureen. Yeah, Maureen. I was trying to think of a real name, Pratt. What are her last names? Pratt. But yeah, Maureen. Susan you know, May. Yeah, Susan May Pratt. So she, you know, she's actually really good at dancing. Hillary seems to be sort of OK at dancing. I mean, obviously, she's good enough to be at this school, so she must be talented. But like, you know. In in center stage, Maureen's mom wasn't able to be a dancer because she didn't have the right skills or she didn't have the feet. Yeah. You didn't have the feet. I don't have the heart. You know, so it's like, yeah, I understand that Hillary is concerned about getting kicked out of school because she hasn't maybe come to terms with the fact that she shouldn't be in the school to begin with. But also let her get kicked out of school. She's a piece of shit. (laughs) Like, Jesse, you do not have to take the high road. This woman, this woman, this girl has been harassing you and terrorizing you for weeks, maybe months at this point. And you're just like, oh, she feels sad about her mom wanting her to be a dancer. I'll just let her be good. Physically injured. I can't, I think that that is where I'm getting hung up on this is that I don't, why it feels more realistic than some of the other ones. Even, you're right, Christy getting human fingernails was pretty damn terrifying. And like, but I think that was so over the line that it did still feel like over the top, unrealistic, where 
someone rigging accidents in a theater. Maybe that's just because we, you know, we're around the theater. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But the point is, she is... It, it could have been a really good message, too, if it ended with her, like, having to confront her mom about, like, why this was happening. Because you're forcing me into that. Like, it mm-hmm. could have been a dual Danny Tanner moment where it was like, look what your right. shitty parenting could is pushing kids into doing. Even though we know that's not likely realistic. The realistic version is the mom's going to carry it up all over the mm-hmm. place and, you know, whatever. If, if If the kid is already being driven to this. Unless the kid's a, a little sociopath. But we don't get Although, indications of that. My question is, do we – we never got confirmation that Hillary made the floor wet so that Jessie would fall and hurt herself. Did we? I don't recall that ever happening. I guess not. Maybe it doesn't matter. But, like – and also the fact that Jessie was doing a different – dance move than they were actually asked to do. So may- maybe Hillary did make the floor wet, but I don't know what a tour jeté looks like or how she would fall versus what the other thing she was supposed to be doing because Carrie told her the wrong thing, which also like, I thought we decided Carrie was nice, but apparently not that nice. But that's exactly... I, I guess I... I mean, if Hillary did put water on the floor so that Jesse would fall, that's some bullshit. It also feels like the likelihood of Jesse being the one to land in that spot and hurt herself is it feels like a bridge too far but these are also kids books for kids so like maybe that's supposed to be like the the logical conclusion like somebody put water on the floor knowing that jesse would dance into it and fall and hurt herself i don't know yeah it, like it, it kind of feels like comparable not not in the same way but like it feels more comparable to me to the this flat falling like a bad accident and Hillary's just, I mean, Hillary's terrible regardless, but like, I don't, I don't know. I, without there, that being part of her confession, you know, cause she does, she does admit to the notes. She admits to stealing Jesse's stuff. She admits to destroying Jesse's stuff. I just, I feel like, I don't know. It just feels like that's far for a babysitter's club book to go. And that's what I, that's why I was having such a problem with it. And I think you're right. I think I missed the fact that she didn't quote, confess to mm-hmm. it because she also didn't deny it. Like the flat, like they very explicitly like call out, no, right. I didn't do that. That's true. And two coincidences in a row like that seemed like too much. So I didn't think it was a coincidence. I thought it was part of her plot. But you're right. I also, for whatever reason, was thinking that it was Hillary that told her the wrong mm-hmm. move intentionally right. and not Carrie. And that does change things a little bit. Or it was a typo. Oh, fair. <laughs> that is very fair. Or I, for a while there, I thought we were heading to like a murder on the Orient Express place and where it's <laughs> yeah. like all of them like banded together yes. to like take Jesse take down. Her down. Yeah. The only like relief around that plot was that, or like the reasoning and all of that was that race seemed to have nothing to do with it. It was yes. just, she's a shitty little kid that usurped everybody at, over. And I'm like, I can see why they would be pissed if, especially if they're like, the older ones are aging out of the school and she's 11. Like she's got a million chances to get the yep. lead. Like, I, it, and is she really just that amazing of a ballerina? I mean, I guess. But, well, that's, I mean, that's what we hear every single time. Like when she was auditioning yeah. for Swan Lake with adults some actual professional dancers and it was like, oh, and Jesse, you're, you're the that's best right. of the best. Like, come on. I mean, yeah. Like you said, Jesse, I feel like of all of our girls, Jesse's maybe the biggest Mary Sue. Like, She's the best dancer. She's, you know, I mean, everybody has their flaws on the, in the books, but like, it feels like she's the most like extreme example of the best of the best at her thing. You know, like, it's not mm-hmm. like Mallory's already published a line of, you know, books about right. horses or, you know, Christy. I mean, I guess Christy did start a business, but they all started it together. But it's not like Christy's, you know, making a million dollars by the time she's 14 or something. Yeah, exactly. It just, it feels so. Like, she can't just be, like, it can't be the lead in the school play. Right. Why does it have to be, like, she gets the lead over these, you know, much more experienced dancers who are genuinely worried about, like, their careers over Mm -hmm. this girl, Jessie. I think that that is what I'm thinking about, too, now, is that part of my response to this is knowing this world so Mm -hmm. much better. And in fact, that was one of the things I really liked about the book is how it does handle some of that, I think, really well. Mm-hmm. Like the way it talks about auditions. I loved the way that Jesse talked about how 
you know, getting the role feels great, but also not because you know that somebody else isn't getting it. Like, especially when it's a school setting and they're all working together to like learn and grow. Mm -hmm. But so these are your friends and your peers that you're beating. So I, oh yeah. In fact, they were just talking about that on this season of Blown Away. They were like, you know, glass blowing is such a small world. You know, we're really all rooting for each other. So this competitive environment is very strange for us. Mm -hmm. Like normally one, you know, glass is such a niche that like one glass artist having good things happen is good for the, you know, everybody. So I loved that they talked about that. Mm -hmm. I have mixed feelings about some of the, the food stuff. Well, well, we'll get to the Nancy Drew of it. But like at one point she talks about how they got ice cream to celebrate her getting the role. And she specifically calls out that she ate some, but not a lot because she does have to watch her figure because of the show. And I've, I've, ugh, I've complicated feelings about mm-hmm. that because I don't love the messaging about little kids worrying about the, their figures. And at the end of the day, that is a reality for a ballerina. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I complicated thoughts on that one. Yeah. And but like the likelihood of a child that's reading this book being at the level in any you know sport, whether it's ballet dancing or, you know, baseball or soccer or anything like the likelihood of these kids of any kid being at that level where they need to even consider that kind of thing is basically zero. So the fact that it's in that's these true. books, it, but that's the thing is like, it shouldn't be in these books is really where I'm going with that is like, it's not like we need that example of Jesse being this elite athlete to, you know, give, you know, kids a, a right. character to relate to. You know, you could relate to Jesse as a ballet dancer, even if she just enjoyed taking ballet, you know, like she's just really yeah. into dancing. She doesn't have to be the best dancer. She doesn't have to be an elite dancer who like really has to worry about her figure. And also like the amount of dancing that Jesse does, like I'm sure that, a huge bowl of ice cream will not be an issue at all. You know, not that you need to like, quote unquote, earn your calories, but like the fact that she's exercising that much every single day and she's like, oh, I can't even have like more than a couple bites of ice cream because it's so bad for me. Like you need to nourish your body regardless of how much you exercise. But if you're exercising as much as she does, like go for it, you know, like enjoy, enjoy food. Like, cause it definitely seems like Jesse has a really complicated and problematic relationship with food. And that comes across reading these books. And that is bad. (laughs) That's concerning. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not, it's not great. And obviously it was a very different time. People were, I mean, it wasn't that different, but like people were a little less thoughtful about how they put those things across in media especially for children, like, yeah. n- then versus now. But it's just... Not that we're so great Right, and now, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's not that different, about but it. yeah. people are more thoughtful about it now. And I guess that's one thing, and as you were talking about, you know, Jesse being the best, or I guess we've both been talking about it, like, I'm recalling one of the things that we talked about when we talked about the Jesse episodes of the show was that it was great that Jesse wasn't the best. You know, that... Because, mm-hmm. again... Most kids reading these books, watching the show, are not going to be the number one athlete in whatever, you know, sport field that they focus on. So it's nice to give the viewpoint that most people are in. You're not the best. You love to do something, but you just don't have the skills for it or you don't have the the talent to be truly successful. You can still enjoy it and find the joy in, in what you love. But if you're not the best, that's okay, too. Which, you know, <laughs> kind of ties into our, our subplot, which we'll get to, but Or even like that it doesn't need to be that serious. Like you don't you can love something and even be really good at it and not have to have it be a career or right. the most important thing or the be all end all. Like I was that's one of the things I was thinking about a lot too, is that I've been doing theater since I was ten and I knew so around Jesse's eight, you know, around, I'm just that for context there. And I knew even then that like, I had no desire to go into that world. Like the audition process is shitty enough for a 10 year old, right. in, you know, suburbs of Cincinnati community theater, let alone, I was like, if it's this ugly and gross and icky of a process now here for this, like this being my life, this being even if I were even remotely talented enough, I, I had no desire to to follow that path. So I I think it's interesting that they make her so dedicated to it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I like the idea that that she does have a passion that she's mm-hmm. she's working for. 
I don't even mind that it's ballet, like as a as a concept. I don't. I I think that I struggle with the food stuff it brings mm-hmm. up, and I struggle that it's an unrealistic version of that. Like, even make her very good and very dedicated, but not like magical Mary Sue level. Right. The the best. She gets to lead every freaking time. Like, she's the youngest person ever to be in the class. Like, right. She can't. It's so over the top that it 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 loses its effectiveness. Mm-hmm. And and you're right. There's if we took it down three notches, we wouldn't even have to in- introduce the reality of ballerina bodies mm-hmm. because it wouldn't be part of the conversation. But I think it stands out, especially. I noticed it more in this one too. But they I, they do it all the time. Which the other favorite '90s version of food is that you know the main characters eat like total crap to prove how real they are, but mm-hmm. they never gain a single pound. Like very Gilmore Girls-esque. Yeah. And every time they mention Claudia, that it never, she eats all the junk food she wants and she still has a perfect figure and perfect skin. And that's not great either. Mm-hmm. I remember that in particular, that was the messaging that fucked me right yep. up as a kid. Like there's something wrong with me that I can't do this or I'm somehow less than because... It's easier for some people and the unfairness of it. it yeah. I, I mean, there's – that's why therapy exists to articulate all those things. <laughs> right. But, you know, I will tell you that for me, Jesse mentioning you know, that ice cream thing didn't really stand out very much. The messaging around Claudia, hugely mm-hmm. impactful. So well, and I, I don't know. I mean, I think – you know, you had mentioned the the Nancy Drew and Bess conversation. I think that this might be a good time to talk about it because yeah. one of the only examples in – book series that we read as kids of anyone that wasn't, you know, a perfect size six, like the the Wakefield twins and, you know, perfect mm-hmm. complexion, perfect figure. The only example I can remember is Bess from Nancy Drew. And she's a caricature of a fat girl, you know, like. And she gets shit on about She gets all shit the on all the, the time. Line. She's always eating. And so, mm-hmm. and while you were talking, I, that's what I was thinking about is like, kids have always been all sizes, all shapes. And all of the media that we had as kids, and it's getting a little bit better, but it's still not great, is like all of these kids are conventionally attractive, thin, you know, for the most part, able-bodied, cisgender, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's obviously it's getting better, but it's still not great. But looking back as a kid, like you're saying, it would have been great to see a character who was like me or closer to like me than anybody I ever read about or saw on TV to make me feel like a normal person because looking at you know reading about these girls seeing other things on TV reading other book series it's like like you said they eat whatever they want and yet they're still you know slender and perfect skin and you know they're tall and blah 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 you know like it's just it's frustrating i mean i think we've talked about this before in yeah. discussing these book series but it's like they really could have done a much better job <laughs> if they had had anybody really thinking about it behind the scenes or having the ability to advocate for it. Cause I'm, I mean, we obviously don't know Anna Martin, but like, I feel like knowing her background now that she's been more open about it, I feel like she probably would have loved to have more representation. And I'm sure that she didn't, if she even had the ability to, to state that in the first place, I'm sure she had no power to push for it. And right. We got, I mean, obviously we love, (laughs) we love these books. It sounds like we hate them, but at least at this moment, but we, I mean, we love these books, but like, and I think we've said this in the past, like we're part of why we talk about this is like, what could have been done better? You know, what? Exactly. Because it is progressive for where it was at Mm -hmm. the time where we are looking at it 30 years later. We, we continue to acknowledge that. So I, I think that. One of the things that really stands out as you were as you were talking about that to me, it made me remember a little bit about our conversation with Lynn about like representation mm-hmm. and as great as it is, as great as it would have been for us as little girls to see representation of different types of bodies so that we can all see ourselves in them. I think it's also really important to note that the way that fat people are treated within the world is very much influenced by the way fat people are portrayed in the Mm -hmm. media, that they are always the butt of the joke, that they are never. And in fact, it's funny. I was just talking about this in a, a class on unconscious bias about how, you know, the way that the messages we receive over and over again, create 
like stereotypes and mm-hmm. things like that. And uh, you know, when when have we ever seen? Well, and I will be I'll be clear from the beginning that I understand that there are exceptions that prove the rule, and the fact is they are exceptions because you're going to be able to call them out and mm-hmm. it's usually like one or two. But when is a time when we see a fat person as a love interest? When do we see a fat person or a story about a fat person who lost their family member and has to like keep their family together, a trope we've seen a million times right. before or any other of those standard tropes that we see across movies. Think about the the last time you saw that with a fat person in as the one experiencing that even not even as necessarily as a lead as a side character mm-hmm. fat people exist in media to be best to be right. the butt of the joke to be the the punchline to make people feel better about themselves and that has an impact on not only the people reading it and feeling like it's themselves mm-hmm. but it also has an impact on the people reading it and and how they think about the people behind them because right. especially especially back in the 90s and 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 so this I'm so thrilled that we're not getting here at all is they don't tie it to any kind of moral failing mm-hmm. or like good or bad as a person even Jesse's stuff about the food is it's talked about in a more manner of fact way that I really appreciate that's I think that's why I, my feelings are complicated on it and not outright like boo hiss mm-hmm. Especially because the fact of the matter is, whether we like it or not, she is an elite prima ballerina. And whether we like it or not, prima ballerinas have to really consider every bite of food that goes into their mouth. So, But do they have to say that? Whether or not Jessie actually has to not eat ice cream, like, it doesn't need to be in this book. She can just say, my family had ice cream because I got the part. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what I mean. Like, it doesn't... Why is that even a part of the conversation ever? Right. And it just, ugh, I don't know. Uh, it, it's, it all is such a mess. And mm-hmm. it sucks that it, it is, especially the best stuff, like, it was unnecessary with Jesse. It was 3 million percent unnecessary. That was a one, like, a three-sentence aside. And it soured me so mm-hmm. much on so much of the book. It was really, really disappointing. Because I really, like I said, to that point, I'd been enjoying the hell out of this one. It's fun. Uh, maddening. Like, I want to, like, <laughs> shake Jesse and be right. like, what the fuck are you doing? Tell an adult. But it's, <laughs> Get a it's, grown up. I agree, though. It's, but it's fun. in a fun way. There's a lot, there's yeah. a lot, and there's a lot going on. Like, we see a lot of things yes. happening, and I think that's what's so fun about it. It's like, the story's moving. There's always something happening. We're trying to get to the next event. What's going to be the next thing that happens? What are the girls going to do? What's Jesse going to do? And yeah, I agree. It's fun. But then, yeah, the, you know, It comes up because, you know, Claudia and her Nancy Drew books, she helps, you know, helps figure things out and put Jesse on the right path. And, you know, they say, oh, you're just like Nancy Drew. And she's like, well, if I'm Nancy Drew, who's Beth's? Ha, ha, ha. Because none of them are plump, as Jesse says, the the quote unquote plump friend of Nancy Drew who's always eating. And it's like, oh, that's so hilarious. No one could be Beth because Beth is fat. Like, what? And not only that, no one wants to be. Like, right. if I've, I'm Nancy, who has to be best? Right. Like, the one that nobody wants to be. And to, you, like, you know that nobody wants to be it. And so then when you're when you're the little girl that when you're playing those games and they all go, oh, good, you be best. Right. Like, you get it. You get, you, you understand. Right. It's like, oh, I, I, here. exactly. I understand what you're saying by saying that I'm best. Cool. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. we all know cool. what that means. So, okay. Well, enough with that because that's just depressing yeah. and, as, as all hell. But like I said, aside from the needing an adult sooner, and I think that my objection to that is a lot less strong had they made it clearer that that the injury was not related to. Yeah. I think for me, I would have been totally fine with it or and it wouldn't have pinged as much if it had been something like she had tripped down a stair because she was distracted by Mm -hmm. the note where it was in an indirect cause but it wasn't like active sabotage right i think that would have felt less coincidental than you know both that happening and the flat happening Mm -hmm. as as just luck right much more explicitly not caused by anyone other than jesse being distracted yeah or at the very least, like, have her admit in her confession and her, like, villain speech that, uh, like, oh, I capitalized on that. I saw that you fell, so I wanted to right. make you think that I did it. Like, that kind of thing. Something. So I think that would have been – anyway. So now understanding that that wasn't part of the plot makes me feel a little slightly less, like, come on. What the fuck are you thinking? <laughs> right. You're injured. 
So, so much fun stuff. It's just a shame that that little bit mm-hmm. was such a it, it hits such a deep like wound place that it left a bad taste in my mouth which from overall which is a really fun book and, and I especially like we kind of briefly mentioned up top the pet show mm-hmm. is one of my favorite subplots that we've had in a really long time. It almost felt though to me and I, I don't think it could ever have been the main plot of a book but like it almost felt like too much for a B plot. I don't know how we would have done it in a different way. I think that's probably part of the reason why this book is so much longer than all of our other regular series books, because there's just so much because there's you don't want to skip over anything. And I'm sure that Ellen, as she was writing, it was like, well, we got to do this and we got to have this, you know, event. And, you know, the whole show at the end has to be we have to hear about everybody's pets and what everyone's doing. And so, like, I totally understand why it needed to be so long. But I'm also like, I wish we had had like. I don't know, more focus on it, like more time Mm -hmm. so that it wasn't like, I don't know. I think it would have been fun if it had been part of whatever the main plot was, because then it could have had more space and it wouldn't have been like, okay, Christy's babysitting for her siblings and literally all of the kids in the neighborhood have to come over because we have to hear about all of their pets too. And, you know, if, if it had been, you know, more babysitting jobs across all of the kids, we could have gotten a little bit less of a... I don't know, forced feeling of like, okay, we got to talk about everybody in this one chapter. And oh, no, we got to talk about all of these people in this chapter because we got to make sure all the kids are covered. And then we got to actually have the show. And it's like, whoa, it's just a lot. (laughs) You're right. It was a little rushed. And I can absolutely see a version of I was like, kind of writing it in my head as you were Mm -hmm. as you were describing it. I was like, I can see a version where Jesse's plot is Becca is sad about Misty because the other kids are like, saying that she's not as cool of a pet because she doesn't do tricks or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so then the great idea from the jump is to have a pet show where everybody wins something. And then you can see how, like, each of the – I could, like, kind of, like – but then, well, it would be, like, a retread in Little Miss Stony Brook and Dawn of, like, them getting involved with the kids and pulling for somebody. Or No, I guess that wouldn't make sense if they wanted everybody to win. But we could insert conflict Mm -hmm. in there in some way. But you're right. I think – I liked it so much that I would have liked it even more had right. we gotten more of it. As rushed as it was, especially got at the end mm-hmm. for the actual show, it, it was so much fun. The fact that the triplets dressed up as a pony mm-hmm. because they, like, set – that was part of the advertising, you know, whatever pet you have, yep. dog, cat, pony, whatever. It, like, I thought that was really cute. I, I thought that the dying of the hamster was really mm-hmm. cute. I, I, I loved the – I thought the messaging there was spot on across the board. Like I said, I loved the fact that it wasn't like gangbusters perfect outside the gate and they had to learn a lesson. I just, yeah, I 10 out of 10, mm-hmm. uh, maybe 9.5 because only because I would have wanted more of what was so awesome about it. Yeah, I agree. And I, like, as I was reading it, I was, when Jesse was like, I have a great idea. I was like, oh good. Everybody gets a participation tri- prize. But like, I did appreciate that it wasn't just like you have a pet. Good job. They came up with like fun categories for everyone to be the best in, whether it's, you know, best exactly. smelling or most colorful or whatever. Like I once we actually saw how it turned out, I was like, OK, I actually really like that because there was part of like you were saying, there was so much conflict around, you know, whose pet is whose which child and then who's going to be the best. And there's only one winner. And like they really did a great job, I think, of like figuring out how to do this better in the future. <laughs> you know, like if they have another exactly. pet show, they've learned from this. Like Christy did have a great idea because it has been a while since we've had, you know, a, a, you know, I guess it's not even neighborhood wide, but like babysitting charges wide Stony event. Stony Brook wide. Yeah which, yeah, which everyone's participating in and everyone's excited about. And obviously we've talked about each book having the thing that everybody's into, but like this is one where they've actually like planned something for everyone to be into. And those are always fun because we get to see a lot of the kids and all the babysitters are involved. And I think... Yeah, I think it, it was nice that it was like, Christy has this great idea, but she doesn't really think it all the way through. She's just like, yeah, we'll have a, a big event. Everyone will come and someone will win the prize. And it's like, okay, but these are children and not every family has multiple pets. So you should have thought a little bit more about how, you know, how you enter, whether it's, you know, by family or, you know, pair up or however, you know, they could have made that more clear and then also made it more clear 
how the awards were going to be given because that all the kids immediately jumped to the best. best. My my mm-hmm. dog is the best. My cat is the best. My turtle is the best. And my my pet is the best of all the pets. And my pet is going to win the best. And yep. so it made for a lot of conflict among the kids. And it made a lot of conflict among the families. And then the kids who don't have pets were feeling left out. And I loved that at the, the actual event, you know, the kids that didn't have pets, you know, they, they got honorary pets for the day or you know they got to yeah. you know share pets because they're married to each other you know school schoolyard marriages and all that kind of stuff and so i really loved that like everybody who wanted to participate was able to and they all you know ended up knowing that their pet their pet was the best at something whether it was the best all around yeah. like like they gave becca or you know something fun because of the day I love that too. I thought it was because I did get a little nervous at first mm-hmm. when it was clear what the issue, like what the conflict was. I was like, ooh, is this where we're like, are we seeing the genesis of the millennial? Everybody gets a part- participation right. trophy. And I like the way that they did it because it what you're right, exactly right. It wasn't just a participation trophy. It was each pet won for something. Mm-hmm. Now they may have made up what those things were, but just because the Papadakis cat won best smelling not that's not the papadakis the delaney's cat the delaney's cat i was like that's we like the papadakis yeah (laughs) yeah they don't have a 400 hundred dollar persian cat and to be clear the cat won best smelling because it was doused in fancy french perfume right which is hilarious but like because the cat won best smelling that that indicated the other dogs and cats and animals were not the best smelling. So they did lose mm-hmm. something. So it, it they they felt the satisfaction of winning because I think that one of the things that boomers especially overestimate is how much those participation trophies meant to us as the kids. Like that was way more for the parents. Like I fully knew that that participation right. like that was bullshit. I didn't care about those. Like I was on the swim team and they gave everybody the participation right. ribbon and I would throw that shit out. I would keep my first places and my, you know, my right. My Something actually thirds, measuring but, achievement as opposed to participation. Yeah. <laughs> like I knew that that shit was not for me. That was for either the crybaby kids and honestly, it was for the parents either way. It was either to make the parents feel better or to make the parents not have to ki- to parent the crybaby kids right. who couldn't handle not winning something. So, it, I mean, I'm not saying that I was the be-all, end-all, and I was perfect and everybody else was terrible. <laughs> but I, I just mean that that was uh, – it's not as – I like that this wasn't that, mm-hmm. that it wasn't just a you showed up here's something. And I like that I, you you called out the, especially the non-pet owner kids. They were so proud of themselves for remembering to include them at mm-hmm. first. Like they were really patting themselves on the back. Like we wanted to make you, the reason it says all kids and not all pet owners is because we wanted to be clear that everybody could come. And I love that they got to realize that even as great as you are for remembering this one part, there are still things that you might not have thought about. Right. And I, again, it's same It's the same concept as the bullshit participation trophy. I don't want them to have clear wins all the time. I want stuff like this where they have to learn something. Mm And and I, I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was really, really well handled yeah. across the board. Well, and the funny thing, like you're saying, all kids are invited. They still haven't learned it by the time the event starts. Because a couple of the kids that live in Christie's neighborhood, the the Sues, I think, they show up and I, I don't remember. I might have been Christie, but it's like, oh, thank goodness you're here. We need some more spectators. Like, even at the event, yeah. they're not realizing, like, kids without pets might actually want to find a way to participate, too, besides just watching. <laughs> Exactly. But the kids or, figure it out for them, which is great. Yeah. Or make a bigger deal out of like what the spectators are and what their what their importance is mm-hmm. or like, you know, have like the judging panel, but then have it judge, you know, have like a cheering session or like, right. yeah, some to be cheerleaders or something. Yeah, or like audience know. choice or something. Yeah. To give them something to do other than just watch. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I was just I was starting to go there with like audience choices, but then I was like, well, that could go very, very wrong very quickly. Fair. <laughs> we I've watched enough reality te- television to know that um, sometimes people can't choose very well. <laughs> very, very good point. <laughs> Especially children. So <laughs> fair. I, yeah, those were kind of my big my big overarching thoughts. I really I really did it. it you know, the my complaints were nitpicky because overall I really did enjoy this one. I remembered why it stuck with me mm-hmm. because it was a memorable mystery. Like, I uh, 
more than anything had fun with this mm-hmm. one, which is which was great. Yep, I agree. And the thing that I really loved about this mystery and why I'm excited for when we in the not too distant future get to start reading mysteries is the thing that I loved most about the mysteries is like there's a clear cut mystery. There are usually a few different options of who it could be or what it could be. And here I think we're seeing one of the first instances where it's like something bad has going on. We have these three culprits or suspects. Let's narrow it down. And I loved that Jesse was like, okay, well, one of the days I got a note, Carrie wasn't there because yes. she had the flu. And she was like, well, maybe she, you know, used it as a cover to sneak back. And she was like, no, she wouldn't do that. You know, like she was clearly sick and she's actually been nice to me outside of me, you know, bumping into me a couple of times, which is, oh, that's probably just because she's been kind of a klutz lately. Like, and, you know, she like used logic and, you know, inferences yes. and like figured out the mystery and then figured out a way to trap the culprit and, you know, get her to confess. And I, I think that's the thing I like the most because I feel like this is the closest so far that we've gotten to like a true mystery book and i know mm-hmm. that we're gonna once we actually get to the mystery books they're they're actually true mysteries and there's usually clues and you know figuring out who it might be or what might be happening and then narrowing down the list of suspects and getting a confession where that where that applies and i always just really love those books so i'm, I'm reminded how much i'm excited to read the mysteries <laughs> Very fully agree, especially because I was thinking the same thing about how as annoyed as I was that they didn't have a talk to the adult part of the Danny Tanner message. I did love the modeling of how they solved the mystery. Mm -hmm. Like you said, the logic was was really wonderful. Like I you can see that teaching a kid how to think things through in a methodical way. And I thought that was really great. I agree. So I just want to throw out as as part of some random thoughts a little bit of timeline just to note that it's it's not a specific timeline thing in the way that I sometimes do but clearly Ellen was given the message that Marianne and Logan break up in the last mm-hmm. book because in the descriptor Jesse does get into that but she mentions it so casually and she's like they're still good friends yep. which a were they and b why <laughs> also it was literally the last book <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean. So, like, timeline-wise, apparently time is so elastic that, like, breakups and mourning and, like, all right. of that, it's, you know. They've gotten all past it and they're back to, to being good friends. <laughs> so what I've – my new working theory is that, especially going off of how we thought about the the uh, super special uh, The Island Adventure, that each book is its own little pocket universe. <laughs> right. and. It exists. It's less like a timeline with like offshoots or like a loop around. It's just like a bubbles that kind of sometimes bunch around each other. Right. (laughs) I like that theory. I think that makes probably the most sense of anything we've come up with to date. Yeah. Another random thought. I think I have like three random thoughts, one of which ties into fashion. So I'll do that one last. For a Jesse book, we got a lot of fashion in this one. Yeah, I was a little surprised. I was, I had the same thought and I, I I was interested to see, um, which one stood out to you? Because I had a couple that, that pinged for me. Yeah. So the first thing I just love, uh, Jesse mentions that the Papadakis' pets are all rhyming. They have Pat yes. the Cat, Noodle the Poodle, and Myrtle the Turtle. And, like, I think we knew that already. But the fact that we saw them all, like, back to back, I was like, I love that. I love it so much. Same. Had never put it together that way. We knew all those pet names, but had never, like, grokked to the fact that it you know, was the, the all three of them were rhyming. I thought that was really cute. Yeah, I love that. Um, And then my other non-fashion one, when they go to Stamford to, you know, sit in on Jesse's dance rehearsal, Charlie drives them and Marianne doesn't go. So that means there are six babysitters and a driver in one car and they're all very clearly crammed in the back seat because they're all like all over each other. And who pinched me? And oh, get your elbow out of my side. Yep. So again, no seatbelts? Question mark. <laughs> that I'm 100% going to chalk up to 80s because I remember a number of times. Well, I mean, just the number of times I went to my ballet lessons in the back of somebody's station wagon in the in the ones that like the hatchback seats that mm-hmm. looked the other way that didn't have seatbelts or anything. So uh, that was just very much of the time. But you're right. Absolutely crazy. Yeah, definitely of the time. But I still it it never ceases to annoy me (laughs) especially because it is a child driving them as well right like it'd be it'd be bad enough if we're an actual grown-up but charlie is a child yeah 
So exactly. And driving something that they refer to as the junk bucket, capital J, capital B. So, you know, if it is if it is junky enough to earn that title with capitalized, it, it's it's pretty junky. Right. Oh, there is one other thing I just wanted to point out quickly to you specifically because I know you mentioned that you didn't really read the Little Sisters. The References to Emily Jr., the mouse or rat, I can't remember which, mm. but that is, Emily Jr. is a fixture of the little, okay. the little sister Interesting. books. That, that she is very, Karen is very excited to have her adoptive little sister, Emily Michelle. So she, when she gets this pet, she names it Emily Jr. because Emily can't be there at their house all the time when she's with her mom. Ah, okay. It's very cute. Okay. So I, that was a that was one of those that brought back. I was like, oh man, I've yeah. forgotten about Emily Jr. Nice. So yes. Anyway, she is a fixture okay. in the Little Sixter series. I'm glad to know that. Yeah, I never, never would have known that because I think this is the first time we've heard about Emily Jr. in the main series. Correct. So that is, Very and that cool. was I, it. Was a nice little throwaway. Yeah. for – It was like an Easter. Yeah, an Easter egg. For, for, <laughs> You're like, oh, by the way, you know Emily. Yeah. You know Emily Jr. Okay. Anything else before I dive into my fashion related thoughts? No, very excited okay. to hear this. So my my first one, we don't actually get a description of this outfit, and I'm dying to know what this girl was wearing. So Claudia at one of their Babysitter's Club meetings says, did you see that outfit Jennifer Cook had on today? I mean, she looked like a cross between Princess Di and Minnie Mouse. What? What yes. is that? What? I want to know what this outfit is. I'm like dying to know. <laughs> I mean, polka dots have to be on there for sure. somewhere. Maybe a, a bow, bow has to be yeah. on there. Taffeta, I'm guessing. Crinoline. I just, like, Princess Diana is so, like, sophisticated and, like, streamlined. Well, 90s di- die That's was. true. Well, 80s die. I'm, like, thinking the wedding dress was so poofy. That's very Minnie Mouse. Yeah. Either way, I'm dying to know. Because as style icons go, those are two. But not right. usually two that I have in the same sentence. No, and not ones that you could ever really think like. Like I don't know how you would combine those. Even eighties die. I don't yeah. know how I would put together an outfit that is that I could very clearly say this is inspired by Princess Diana, and Minnie Mouse. I figured it out. It's Andy's dress from the end of Pretty in Pink. <laughs> If it had, oh, it does have polka dots. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I think that's as close as we're gonna get. So, I, yeah, we certainly can't do any better than that because my brain is like broken from that combination. <laughs> I like, I literally just, hey, I don't know. Now you know how I feel about the wide upper. <laughs> <laughs> those pants. Oh, I can't. Those pants. The pants. I can't haunt. My nightmares. I can't with those Every pants. time I put on pants, every time I put on pants in the last month, I have thought that Wide sentence to myself. Wide at the top. Wide at the top. <laughs> God damn it. No, no. It looks good on nobody. Just no. I don't, I don't care Never. who you are. I mean, speaking of Andy's prom dress, looks good on nobody. Fair. It can't look good on Molly Ringwald in the 80s. Like, and no especially hope. since she took two dresses that were both gorgeous on their own and then ruined them into that terribleness if i were annie potts i would never speak to that bitch again like that is what you did to my dress that is what you did to my precious that i gifted to you okay we've gone down speaking of rabbit holes but anyway if you haven't seen pretty in pink do yourself a favor (laughs) those dresses yikes okay so there's like i said there's a lot of fashion a lot of it is jesse adjacent and it's all pretty straightforward and not exciting the exciting outfits come at the performance of Sleeping Beauty, where we get descriptions of all of the girls, two of which are exciting, and the rest of which are Christy, Marianne, Dawn, and, <laughs> <laughs> and Mallory. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, Claudia and Stacey have exciting outfits, and the rest of our girls are in dresses or jumpsuits. So, Claudia. Claudia looked extremely cool and exotic. Ugh. As usual, her hair was braided with silver ribbons, and she wore a shimmery dark blue mini dress. On her feet were silver sandals with laces up the calves, kind of like toe shoes. Stacy. Stacy had on a tuxedo. That's right, a tuxedo, just like one a boy would wear. But it was made to fit her perfectly, and she looked great. She must have gotten it in New York. I want them both. Agreed. I would wear them both. Totally. Literally, only other the fucking exotic, uh, 10 out of 10. Yep. Hands down, Ellen. Love it. Yep. Bring it on. Exactly. 
take out the exotic and sign on for both of those. Yeah, Christy's wearing a dress for once. <laughs> it was strange to see her in something other than a turtleneck and jeans. She looked really pretty. <laughs> and Mallory, standing next to her in her best skirt and blouse, looked great too. What's a best skirt and blouse? Way to be descriptive there, Majesty. <laughs> I mean, my best skirt and blouse at that age was my school uniforms. So. Right. I mean, that's sort of what I'm envisioning. I feel like that would be Jesse's. I mean, they don't wear uniforms yeah. to, to like Stony Brook. Skirts. But yeah, like yeah. A, a plaid pleated skirt and a blouse of, you know, white button down. Oh, and it's fully like all the way down, like to her calves. Right. Like it's, it's a. Yeah, it's not, it's not a not, cute plaid skirt. It's a. Yeah. It's a, and it's brown. It's, a, it's bra- shades of brown. Oh, God. I can picture this outfit now. Yep. Same. I could, oh, God, yeah. Penny loafers. There are penny loafers. Yep. And bobby socks. So, and then Dawn and Marianne. Dawn and Marianne must have traded clothes. They do that a lot because I recognize Marianne's new Laura Ashley dress on Dawn and Dawn's pink jumpsuit on Marianne. So we got some some great descriptions of, of Stacy and Claudia's outfits and then pretty basic generic descriptions for the others. Fair. Although I would wear a pink jumpsuit. I'm not going to lie to you. That's fair. And... I can't believe you didn't call out how much Mademoiselle Noel was disdained by Carrie's neon green, pink, and yellow jacket. Fair. When she when they're searching the the room, she's like, "What is that?" And they're like, "I think it's wicked cool." And she's like, mm-hmm. "She's like, I do not." <laughs> um, I love it. I love it. I can so picture that that woman uh, so clearly. Yeah. And I do love how Jesse. Sorry, this is another little. T- tiny little random thought. I love how Jessie talks about how graceful and flowy she is because mm-hmm. I feel like retired ballerinas tend to either be really graceful and flowy or like really rigid and brittle. Mm-hmm. And so I love that description because it lets us know which version she is. That yep. Even though she's harsh, like you can tell that she's actually a big softie, yep. which I love. I love that. Yep. I love that too. Yeah. I think as, as tough as Madame Noel is in the beginning of this book, I really love like I love her over the course of this book, and in particular, when she knows that something's going on with Jesse, and she takes the time to be like, what's happening? What's wrong? I'm here for you. And obviously, Jesse doesn't bring herself to tell her anything or take her up on that offer, but I just love the fact that it's very clear that as you know, demanding as Madame Noelle can be on all of her students, she also really cares for them a lot. Absolutely. It's really, yeah. It's it's nice to see a good teacher, especially mm-hmm. after the last. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, I didn't even think so. about the comparison there, but yes, <laughs> fully agree. <laughs> oh man. Well, I'd say that that pretty much does it for for this mystery. Next week's isn't a mystery, but you know what is a mystery is how this is the first book in like the last twenty five. It feels like that we haven't gotten a an allusion to <laughs> Stacy and her brittle diabetes, which is really interesting because the next book is finally Stacy's emergency. Right. Yeah, I I picked up on that, too. The fact that there's – I, I mean, she, like, barely even mentioned she's diabetic as opposed to – Didn't even – oh, I was going to say she didn't even say brittle right. this time. Yeah, it was just – Like, she just – Diabetic, blah, blah, blah. Like, moving on to the next girl in the babysitter's club. So I, I was like, oh, that's interesting. We've backburnered that for a minute. And then, of course, it's because it's the next yes. one. So – Obviously, we know it's when things go really wrong for Stacy and her diabetes finally. But I'm not going to lie to you. I don't really remember it. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm having a hard time because we did watch the episode so recently yep. that I um, that's all I really remember. That's what I want to say, that she's doing some kind of fashion show and pushes herself too hard and ends up in the hospital. And I don't remember if that's true. I don't remember if that's the show. But... I honestly don't really know that I remember this book very well at all. I, I, in fact, until the show, I wouldn't have remembered that Stacy had another diabetes plot other than just the like introduction of it and the fact that it was a fact of her character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. I mean, when we talked about the episode of the show, I think I remember saying at the time, like, I don't remember reading this book at all. And now I, all I have in my head is the show. And I think that that's because I didn't have any memory of it outside of watching that episode. All right. So prediction-wise, I am going to say no insulin pump fashion show <laughs> because that's not a thing that – technology that existed back then. So let's see. Let's claim – let's pretend that Stacy 
let's go with a boy. She is dating, getting, uh, got a new boyfriend and is neglecting her diabetes as a result because of the going out to dinner and doesn't want to admit, you know, that she has restrictions around what she can need missing shots because she doesn't want to draw attention to the fact that she needs it. So she starts neglecting her health in order to impress her new boyfriend and winds up in the hospital. Okay. So let's see if I can come up with something like completely out of left field. So I think that Stacy's emergency is that they are at an amusement park for an all day thing with the rest of their school. And she Ooh. is so excited about all of the rides that they're going on. And she sees a cute boy from another school and she's distracted following him around and she doesn't have snacks when she needs to and isn't paying attention to her her blood sugar levels and you know she's on the merry-go-round and passes out and has to go to the hospital love it Ooh, and makes a big scene because they have to, she gets have to get carted off on like right. the stretcher at the park and you know that would be the most exactly thing she's in the world so for a 13 year old girl exactly ah okay i like this i like both of our yeah i, I think both of ours are realistic enough right i will say as our non-realistic shot in the dark stacy's emergency is that she's taken hostage <laughs> in a bank bank robbery in sunnydale sunnydale <laughs> stony brook wow okay um and i think that that shows that i'm i'm donezo for today <laughs> yeah time time to set my then my emergency is that stony brook has a hell mouth and stacy has to fight <laughs> off some vampires <laughs> Love it. <laughs> we'll just go on full on crossover. Exactly. It's it's a crossover episode. It's gonna be amazing. We can't wait to find some uh some some vampire slayers in our mix. Oh my god. I, we need to like oh now I wanna like overlay which character is which. <laughs> Who's who? I mean Richard and Giles, obviously. Of of course, of course. <laughs> Any other final club business before we wrap this one up? Let's just remind everybody that you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at GenerationBSC, or you can email us at GenerationBSC at gmail.com. Okay. So with that, I'm Kate Vlasic. And I'm Lauren Hunter. And this episode of Generation BSC is now adjourned. Say hello to 